This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Galley. Our guest this week is Senator Blanche Lincoln, founder of the Lincoln Policy Group and a spokesperson for the Farmers for Free Trade Coalition. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Bayer promotes responsible environmental stewardship. Bayer is part of Growing Matters, an industry-wide effort that launched the Be Sure Stewardship Initiative this spring. Visit growingmatters.org slash be sure for more information on product stewardship. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Arkansas's Blanche Lincoln next. Deciding how to manage weeds, insects, and diseases that routinely attack their crops is just one of many decisions farmers must make each season. Protecting bees and other wildlife is a major part of responsible stewardship and why Bayer is part of Growing Matters, an industry-wide effort that launched the BeSure Stewardship Initiative this spring. Through BeSure, Growing Matters reminds farmers and applicators this season to use treated seed responsibly and follow the label to protect bees and other wildlife. Visit growingmatters.org slash BeSure for more information on product stewardship. This is AgriPulse Open Mic, a shift from a supply management focus in U.S. farm programs to a market-focused approach in the mid-1990s has made farmers and ranchers more dependent on global markets than ever before. Arkansas native Blanche Lincoln served two terms in the House of Representatives and two terms of the U.S. Senate, as well as chairing the Senate Agriculture Committee. Now, as a voice for the Farmers for Free Trade Coalition, Lincoln is concerned the U.S. isn't pursuing healthy global trade relationships that maintain global market access for U.S. farmers. Over the last several years, we've really gotten away from engaging in the global community in a way that builds the respect we need to be able to negotiate in good faith with with other countries on things that are important to us, without a doubt, in, in America, but to the world globally, and to be the kind of leader that we need to be, to not only create good trade agreements, but also safety and soundness and feeding the hungry and those that are persecuted. And it's just, it's just a whole bag of, of things. But without a doubt, in terms of agriculture, and other trade-dependent products and industries that we are really good at in this country, we run the risk of, of going down some pathways that we might never be able to get out of. You know, agreements and, and, and relationships um, that have been so meaningful to us, uh, particularly in agriculture, uh, being a trade surplus, where, you know, before our trading partners had nowhere else to go. And now... They do, and they can choose other people to trade with. How would you evaluate the North American Free Trade Agreement now with an eye toward this newly renegotiated USMCA? How did NAFTA treat Arkansas and the area that you serve? I supported NAFTA. I worked hard to make it the best that it could be, but uh, at the end of the day, it was a good agreement. I mean, almost 80% of the rice going into Mexico um, is from the U.S., it's been a, a good trading partner for us. Uh, we've worked out differences that may have been lingering after NAFTA. We need to continue to do that. Canada and, and Mexico are our number one and number two trading partners. They're, you know, their, their proximity makes it a lot easier for us. 
to be able to trade. It helps us to build as long as we do it in the proper way. It helps us to build better relations just as contiguous neighbors. It, it, it was a very good step in the right direction, and it's something we should continue. And hopefully with the USMCA, which they're trying to do, you know, we're trying to, to move that forward. Um, it can help deliver some stability for our farmers. It's a positive thing. You were willing and have been willing to lend your voice and support to the farmers for free trade, especially in support of this USMCA. You had an opportunity to travel some and to meet with individuals trying to draw support for this agreement. What did you hear when you were on the trail, and what were the things you think that are important to be said right now as uh, we prepare to come to a decision on this agreement? Well, first of all, I want to say how wonderful this, uh, the Farmers for Free Trade um, initiative is, um, not just because I think it's really necessary and it's really taken the conversation and the debate out to the people who are most affected, um, but it's also being run by people, um, public servants who have served, that that I've, I've served with, um, that uh, some of them serve in the Congress today that show up at our meetings. Many of them are staffers um, who worked when I was in the Senate on the Senate Finance Committee who traveled the globe and met met with our trading partners, got to know them, talked through the issues that we had um, so they know intricately what trade means. Um, and what they're hearing from most of the agricultural production industry, particularly farmers, is that, yes, um, Farmers are patriotic. They are. Uh, they have been patient, um, but it's now time for their government to respond. Farmers are usually lifelong, if they can be, because they love what they do, and if they can afford to do it, they're going to be a lifelong farmer. And they know that it's taken decades to build these trade relationships. They understand that. They understand China being a new market to us. Uh, Japan, the possibilities that we had with TPP and we just let it go, you know, they understand that when you don't take those opportunities and the time that you've, you've taken to build those, build those relationships and those opportunities, those people are going to go somewhere else. They talk about, well, if we lose these markets, you know, and they go somewhere else for their soybeans or for their farm products, you know, we may never get them back. And it's not just the farmers, but it's everybody else that they work with. We're hearing from the bankers. The bankers are showing up at the event because the bankers uh, know what's going on. Uh, they know about the programs. They know about trade. They know about the economy. And these farmers come in for an operating loan. And if, if a bank can't find the substantiating evidence in, the, in their balance sheet, they can't make them a loan. If you're looking at, at implement dealers uh, and automobile dealers, truck dealers that sell uh, farm trucks, whether it's the tariff, you know, in their products and their prices going up or just the fact that a farmer doesn't know what he's going to get for his, his crop this year. I mean, that's a double whammy. Senator, you come from the farm and you're also a member of the Democratic Party. And now we are looking at a decision perhaps coming before this Congress. NAFTA was a close vote. USMCA promises to be a close vote as well, but there's talk that Ms. Pelosi and some of the leaders in the House would want to make some changes to the program or would not support the program because it doesn't 
have the measures they would like to see for labor or for the environment or for other. What do you say to members from your side of the aisle about this agreement and and this up or down vote that's pending? Well, I think that when you start to talk about the environment, the environment uh, is important. And um, I regret that we have left some of these global conversations, the Paris Accord and other things like that, where we can weigh in and really talk about all of the good stuff that we have been doing. We are far and beyond um, many of our, our counterparts across the globe in terms of growing techniques, um, in, in terms of, of technologies that we have developed to be able to minimize um, our impact both to the land and the air. Um, you know, we grow things in the most efficient way, effective way, and the most, um, you know, the, with the best respect to the environment of anybody on the globe. Um, so I think that those are all important issues, but at the end of the day, they've got to be able to recognize what American growers do. Um, and if they are not doing it, who are they going to be replaced with? They're going to re- be replaced with people who are doing, um, that are, are, are feeding the world with less effective, less efficient, um, and less respectful to the environment, uh, 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 processes and procedures and, and technologies, um, than we have. And so, um, I hope that, I hope that it's an open dialogue within the Democratic caucus, um, and that those that come from our, our rural areas and our farm producing areas, um, can really help, help them better understand, uh, what it is they do and how they do it. One of the critiques of NAFTA was that it allowed uh, businesses to move manufacturing to Mexico where labor standards were not the same and certainly wages were not the same. In the USMCA, that's changed. And, in fact, we've already seen the Mexican government come alongside and embrace what has been negotiated. Do you think this is a deal that's not only good for agriculture but that will also be good for manufacturing? Yeah, I do. And one of the things that we've seen in the manufacturing side of it is from NAFTA is that we were able to even out some of that. We did make some differences um, in terms of both conditions um, and also making sure that as these industries began to kind of iron themselves out, we were able to capture the part of that industry that we did best and then Mexico was able to improve upon the part of the industry um, that they did best. Some of it was, um, you know, for us it was mills um, and producing, uh, you know, whether it was fabrics and products, um, uh, adding value uh, going to Mexico. But because of its proximity, we were able to continue to bring some of those products back unfinished um, because, again, we did what we did best um, for that next process. So I think that there's been, we learned some things there in NAFTA too that were very positive, uh, in terms of manufacturing. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that, as long as we kind of understand that these types of trade agreements are kind of living, breathing, um, apparatuses that we, we grow, we grow into and we grow with our trading partners. Um, that's why it's important to stay engaged, and it's important to, um, you, you know, to to have this continual conversation, which is what I certainly experienced for the, you know, sixteen almost twenty years I was 
in in government was to see you know the continuity of of both members and staff uh, um, in Congress as well as in the administration. Um, people who had that continuity and knew about these trade agreements, where we were, where we've been, and where we want to go. Let's talk about the uh, big gorilla in the room right now, and that's the trade relationship between the U.S. and China. Some thought we were close to a conclusion of the talks, and now it appears we're digging deeper uh, into a trade war. The president and the U.S. negotiating team says that China was already uh, looking to renegotiate or renege on some promises made. How do you evaluate this administration's work with China, number one, to try to get a better deal, but then also the suffering that's happening in U.S. agriculture as a result of those talks? Well, I I think it's important more than anything to be engaged. I I think that, you know, if we're not engaged, uh, and it's not a continual engagement, um, it's not going to work. China doesn't pay, they don't pay tariffs. We do. We've got a lot to lose here, and and just threatening people is not the way to get it done. Um, I worry that we are not engaged, that we are not spending the kind of time that we need to spend um, in developing relationships and and having the kind of talks we do have to be. I mean, China's you know China's coming into its own at this point, and we do have to be careful that we we're not um, we're not standing up for what what we need and what we want. Um, but, but that's got to happen through uh, um, a series of conversations and, um, and, a, and a relationship building to better understand one another. You're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't. If you do nothing, as had happened over previous years, the Chinese continue to manipulate. They, they, they balk at our products because of sanitary or phytosanitary issues they come up with. And on the other side, if you dig your heels in and hold them to the fire, then the retaliation is one that's proven to be painful in U.S. agriculture. There's not an easy row here. The question is, are we going the right way? And, and where do farmers for free trade feel about this this plight that we're in right now? I think that they feel like that we've lost a little ground um, and that we, we do have to be um, strategic. There's no doubt. Um, we do have to hold China's feet to the fire. Um, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do those things. The kind of relationship we need for the ne- you know, the, the coming decades is not going to happen by poking them in the eye all the time. It's got to be by, by building some, some trust and, and some negotiation abilities to be able to, to talk about what we can offer and, and, and what they can offer. Ambassador Darcy Vetter was the chief ag negotiator in the U.S. Trade Representative's office uh, under uh, the Obama administration and said that she felt the better approach would have been to have gone after China with a group. We would have been better in mass than we would have been on our own. Right. And that's always the case. I mean, the TPP, you know, we probably would have had a really uh, much better relationship with Japan, the EU, and others if we had continued in that approach as we did with TPP. I don't disagree with that. I think the multilateral negotiations not only open up simultaneously more more markets for us, but it gives us partners. It gives us partners, um, you know, obviously some are on our side and some aren't. 
Senator, I know that with the Lincoln Policy Group, you work with your clients in helping them to navigate and negotiate the, the legislative and regulatory uh, area in Washington. I'd like to finish with one question, if I can all get your insight. It does appear that as we're working closer to the 2020 race for the White House, that we're going to hear a lot more about climate change. There's been talk about a Green New Deal. They've been talking about changes and, and where our energy comes from. What state does rural America have in this debate, and, and what would you advise for the producers and the ag industry now? How do we weigh in to this discussion that is here and that is growing? Well, first of all, I think um, one of the great things, but one of the more difficult things about our democracy in this country is it takes a lot of patience. Democracy takes patience. <laughs> Um, and I'm finding since I have twin millennials that millennials don't have a whole lot of patience, but they're, they're, they're learning that they have to. But solving those kind of problems like climate change, you know, when I was growing up, um, I can remember visiting with my dad about weather and, and those kind of things and hearing lots of things really particularly in the, in the 80s and 90s about climate change. And, um, you know, he, he reminded me that our global weather patterns have been changing for thousands of years. And yes, we have done things that have exacerbated or accelerated some of those things. But we are also at a point now where we're beginning to look for the technologies that are less invasive, um, that, uh, to our environment, to our atmosphere, to a whole host of different things. And we've got to have the patience and the, accompanied with the tenacity to really want to do something, um, to do better as human beings, to have less of a footprint. But we also have to remember that we have to feed the world and feed ourselves. We have to provide jobs so people can provide for their families. Um, Many of those jobs are are designing and and inventing and thinking up all of these technologies that really help us. there, I just I hope that I hope that my any of my former colleagues that are still there and the new ones that have come realize that it takes a really good strong patience and conversation about finding out where you want to go and in most instances people agree on where they want to go it's just how they get there and and figuring out what they're willing to do to to make that happen, you know, understanding that it's not going to happen overnight. So I think it's a very healthy debate that has to happen, and it should. And I think agriculture has a huge role to play because one of the things that is going to be most important for agriculture is to be able to very succinctly talk about what they have already done, whether it's in forestry or whether it's in row crops or whether it is in, you know, minimizing water use or, uh, you know, perfecting technologies that allow them to minimize their use of, of applications, whether it's nutrients or, or um, pesticides. So many things out there that we have done in just the last 10 years that have been phenomenal in agriculture that put us light years ahead of other countries in terms of, of our, our way, the, you know, our process of growing, um, and producing, um, fruits and vegetables and, and, um, proteins. It's, it's phenomenal.
Senator Lincoln, we want to thank you so much uh, for offering your thoughts and insight uh, into the issues of the day. We appreciate your work, and thank you so much for being with us on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you have the last word. Well, I hope I can remind people all across the country, whether they're in farm country or big cities or whatever, we are so blessed to live in this country, um, and it is an amazing country that is based on uh, a democracy, uh, a democratic republic, that gives back so much to us, but it is dependent on us to participate in a constructive and positive way. And it is an amazing opportunity and a blessing to be able to live in this country. In farm community, we know that. We wake up in the mornings and we see the sunrise and we know we've got a day to accomplish a lot of things on that farm um, that's going to be meaningful to a lot of people. And people do that everywhere they go when they, they go to work. Um, and so I just I hope that people really think hard, long and hard about the blessing that they have of being able to live in this great country and what it is that they have to give back. Because as Americans, we really do have a responsibility to one another, you know, to continue to make this country great, um, to, to, to remember each and every day the things that we do that make not only our own family strong, um, but what makes this country strong. So I'm, I'm proud to be on your show. You know I am. Uh, I love talking to you guys, and I'm very proud of what you do and uh, look forward to another time when we can have a great conversation. Our thanks to Senator Blanche Lincoln, founder of the Lincoln Policy Group, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Bayer promotes responsible environmental stewardship. And Bayer is part of Growing Matters, an industry-wide effort that launched the Be Sure Stewardship Initiative this spring. Visit growingmatters.org slash be sure for more information on product stewardship. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.